0: this session of Look at the Book, we're going to focus on Psalm 141, verses 1 through 4, and I think we'll take perhaps two sessions, two labs, to do it. We'll do the first two verses and then the next two verses, because they are distinct units in one way, and yet they are wonderfully related. Father, teach us how to pray as we watch David pray. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you begin to read a psalm, very simply look for patterns of words, ask about meanings of words, and ask about uh, relationships. Look for relationships between words and between phrases and ask about the meaning of those relationships. So, in a sense, interpreting the Bible um, is a ever-recurring look, 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 ask, 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 try to answer, try to see. So, let's do that with these first two verses. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me, give ear to my voice, When I call to you. Now, just pause there and look for repetitions and uh, patterns and uh, parallels. And here's what I see I call upon you when I call to you. So I noticed these two calls. And of course, we know that besides those repetitions, there is a parallelism very common in the poetry of the Bible, in the Psalms of the Bible now. And that parallelism is broken right here. O Lord, I call upon you, hasten to me. That's one line. Give ear to my voice when I call to you so we expect between those two parallels we expect repetitions or something that sheds light on the other half of the parallel so here's here's one part of the parallel and here's here's the other part of the parallel and they have these repetitions of of call. Now, two different effects are asked for in response to the call. Uh, the first one is, I call upon you, hasten to me, which sounds as if God is at some distance, and so he's asking in response to the call that God would, would come. And here, He calls and he hopes that God would give ear to my voice when I call. So here he's asking that God would um, overcome some distance of hearing and he he would hear him. So he wants God in response to his call to come and he wants God in response to his call to hear. And so the the picture we have is, here's, here's the psalmist, and here's God. And since he is saying, hasten to me, in response to call, his, his call is going twice this way. And he's hoping that God will hasten back this way. And that God would lend his ear this way. So I'm going to write here, uh, the picture I see, especially because of this word "hasten to me," the picture I see in verse one is that, in response to God's, uh, in response to the psalmist's call, um, he's hoping that God would uh, overcome some distance and and hasten to him and be near to him and and would give ear as a close friend would give ear so that's some of the repetition and patterning that i see in verse 1 and then i stop before i move on and i say i uh, ask this question and and there are other questions you could ask i ask um david when you say he should hasten To you, it sounds like you're treating God as though He moves around, and that He's at a distance, and that if He were nearer, it would make a difference. But God doesn't have any, any, any um, space, spatiality, right? God doesn't have any space. Um, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. So what do you mean when you hope that in response to your call, God would overcome some distance and come to you? And answering that question here will help us understand hundreds of texts in the Bible because God is treated as though he had space, as though he moved through space, Often, that's that's a very common language when we know God is spirit and spirits don't have any dimensions. And therefore, to talk about dimensionality, moving through dimensionality of space doesn't really make any geographic uh, physics sense. And of course, they knew that. They knew it as well as we did. When the Bible, the psalmist here, says, hasten to me... He means come to me in your influence or come to me in your uh, intimacy or come to me in your power, in your help. In other words, uh, the, the presence that we're asking for is what the Puritans called, I'll write it down here, we're asking for the manifest manifest presence we want God to show up and do something show make make clear that he's here give some evidence that he's here cause us to experience his nearness that's what we're really asking for now let's go to verse two let my prayer so now he's calling this call here a prayer, let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and then the break in the parallelism, and then he says something similar again, and the lifting up of my hands, so instead of prayer in this half, he says the lifting up of my hands, uh, be as the evening sacrifice. So here he wants his his prayer to be counted as incense, and here he wants the lifting up of his hands to be seen, treated as, experienced by God as a, a sacrifice. And when I pause and ask what he's up to there, what, why why did he add this, it seems to me that First of all, the movement from prayer to the lifting up of hands would be an intensification of the prayer. Isn't that what the movement of the body does? When you, when you pray and you're, you don't move a muscle, you don't get on your knees, you don't lift your hands, you don't close your eyes, you just say a word, it, it's as though your whole body's not in it. But if you lift up your hands or if you fall on your knees or if you close your eyes or if you weep, if the body gets involved somehow, then it intensifies the prayer. And so what he's saying is, I want my prayer to be counted as incense and I want the intensification my prayer. That's all one to be counted as a sacrifice. What's the relationship between these two, incense and sacrifice? Well, in a sense, both of them are things that would happen in the temple or in the tabernacle. You light a little incense, and and it fills the tabernacle with a sweet aroma. And God counts the prayers, like it says in Revelation, as the as the incense, the sweet incense of God's of people. And so He wants He wants this to be pleasing. That would be surely the the implication there, wouldn't it? pleasing to God and the sacrifice is what God appoints and that would be pleasing also to God if we came to him in the evening and made our appropriate sacrifice. And then I noticed this and I, I didn't see this at first. I just stopped and pondered what's what's the relationship between this idea here that we looked at earlier, this verse one, and now this. Verse one we said God was Overcoming a distance as he was he was moving here toward them, and then I thought, uh, when he does this in verse two he's he's saying a similar kind of thing, isn't he? Only the movement seems to be in the other direction. This incense. Is usually in the temple of God and this sacrifice is usually in the temple of God and so here's here's David knowing himself to be out here what on the battlefield or in the wilderness or in some situation of crisis that you can read in the rest of the psalm and he, he, he wants God to treat him as though he's right there with God in the temple, right there with God in the tabernacle. And he says, so Lord, I'm praying out here all by myself, and yet would you consider my prayer to be just as if I were there in your presence in the temple? And would you consider the lifting of my hands just as if I were there? And so verse 2 is uh, God overcomes a distance in the other direction, as it were. In in verse 1, he's coming to the psalmist, to David, and in, in verse 2, he's treating David as though David had effectively come to the temple. Now, the question we're going to go to next time is, what what is it that would make the prayer or the lifting up of hands, pleasing. You look for that in verses 3 and 4. But for now, what we've seen is that in prayer, we are closing a gap with God. And it's not a gap that's geographical. It's a gap of influence and a gap of intimacy and a gap of power and helpfulness. And I pray that all of us would learn to Pray this way from the inspired David.